0: Hello and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I apologize for my voice. I am in the middle of a conference, and so I am losing it. But I have a great episode for you today with a physician who is trying to change things from the inside. Before we jump into that, though, I want to talk about the MCAT Minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. As you all know, one of the best things that you can do for taking the MCAT is to take the MCAT and signing up for a free Blueprint MCAT account Over at BlueprintMCAT.com gives you access to a half-length diagnostic and a free full-length exam, as well as their amazing study planner tool and much, much more. Go check it out at BlueprintMCAT.com. We're going to jump into our conversation with Dr. Raj Sundar, a physician who is trying to change what he sees as issues in the healthcare field. Raj, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm excited to chat with you about kind of your career progression working in big hospital organizations and kind of all of the the fun stuff that you're working on and things that you're learning and hopefully trying to improve this healthcare world both for physicians and patients. Before we jump in though, when when did you first realize you wanted to be a physician? Oh.
1: Oh, Ryan. Where do I start? <laughs> I'll say what I what I say is that it was just like an arranged marriage with medicine for me. (laughs) And I don't know if there are people out there like this, and maybe if you're listening to this, you're like this, but there's, I have a whole family of doctors. My dad, my mom, my cousins, my uncle, my aunt, a lot of them are in India, so doctoring there is different. But when I was growing up, the story that I share is that they would always ask me what kind of doctor I wanted to be (laughs) when I grew up. So I always thought, oh yeah, everybody's a doctor, and we just choose the specialty, like how simple, (laughs) and choose what body part you like. Uh, that, so the idea of being a doctor was, as I said, just a family trade and I chose to become one. And part of my career has been defining what does it mean to be a doctor for me and finding that purpose and meaning and feeling like I'm contributing
0: or making an impact in the way that I want. When, when you went through this process, having that kind of arranged marriage, as you mentioned, Uh, A lot, I I see a lot of students who struggle with some of that external pressure. Did you feel any external pressure? Do you think it was just so ingrained that you kind of just embodied it and went with it?
1: Probably both. I feel like we all feel that external pressure. We kind of self-select when we're in medicine or the type of people who end up in being in medicine and doing clinical care. On top of that, I know we'll touch upon identity today. Being an Asian-American specifically and an Indian-American specifically, there's this external pressure to be excellent, to succeed. So part of that process, as you're alluding to, is like, is this actually something I want to do or just the world has told me this is something I should do? And is how do I bridge that gap and feel okay with myself and Mm -hmm. reconcile
0: this idea of like me and external world expectations of me? In in the U.S., we have a, a very kind of specific, I think, unique process for pre-meds getting into medical school where there's some expectation of getting clinical experience and shadowing. In, in my mind, that is to prove to the student that this is something that you want to do and it's not some external pressure or something that you just have this kind of theoretical idea because you watched Grey's Anatomy that this is what you want to do. <laughs> did you go through those normal pre-med experiences of getting clinical experience and shadowing non-family members and, and all that fun stuff? Not, I know. <laughs> just, not, just my dad at home in the evenings charting, just
1: shadowing him charting. I yep. decided I love medicine. And I got to go in. <laughs> uh, I, I did a little bit, but I feel like, it's easy to still divorce yourself from this idea of what you want because we're on a treadmill. Ever since calling college, if you know you wanna to go to become a doctor, you know what you need to do next, which is go to a college, get good grades. And then during college, you gotta do all these things, check, 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 research experience, shadow, check, check, done. And then you get into medical school and then, like, okay, like what do I need to get into residency? Which residency do I wanna get into so you can, be outside of your body and your mind because you have this checklist. And then this feeling, I think a lot of my colleagues had had this feeling too, after you finish residency, we're like, what's next? And mm-hmm. nobody's telling you what's next. You're like, wait, this is the rest of my <laughs> life. <laughs> like, that's it? Is this it?
0: This yeah. is the end? Yeah. You finally reached uh, a steady state.
1: <laughs> steady state. Yeah. And there's a disillusionment because mm-hmm. then you realize, oh, nobody's telling me what the next step is. So I got to figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. And some people feel fine in that space. And other people, I think, have really tried to figure out then what do I do with my clinical career? At least, as I said, some of my friends have, uh, just like I, I, I had to.
0: Yeah. Looking, looking at your journey as you've gone through this now and you look back at our process. And again, you had mentioned a lot of family members in, in medicine in India and knowing that that process is very different. Do you think our process here is broken? Uh, and if if so, w- even if it's not broken, what, what would you do to to change the, the most drastic thing about what we do here?
1: There's so many ways to approach this question. I would say coming from India and seeing what my parents' journey was, it seems better in some ways in the US because it's a little more holistic, mm-hmm. but in India, everything was a test score. We talk about how we overemphasize test scores here, but in India, all you had to do was get in the top 5% of the scores and you'll be a doctor yeah so it's clearly just exam taking and memorizing so when i came to the u.s i'm like oh they care about personal stuff what does that mean And like i'm supposed to do other things what do you mean follow your passions do i don't dogs. know i don't know yeah, what that means yeah, yeah. what's a <laughs> hobby
0: like, why do you need one of those <laughs> you know, there's no uh, there's no word that translates in <laughs> yeah, in, exactly in do right. whatever <laughs> yeah.
1: so i i i think and because i'm comparing to that system it seems better but I think we could always improve our current system Mm -hmm. and the idea of like, what does it take to be a good doctor? Mm -hmm. Which means like, are you helping heal communities and helping the health of the communities? And people who have the capacity and skill to do that aren't just good test takers. And sometimes I think it feels like our whole process is oriented towards memorizing and taking good tests and then looking good to your supervisors to get into medicine. When you go into the community, you hear so many other problems of why people are ill. And we know America is a sick nation. Everybody's seen that graph. If you haven't, you can Google this of how much money we spend in the U.S. and what our mortality rates are. And yep. it's worse than most countries. And we spend a lot of money. And the reasons for that are complex. But we know the solutions need to be different than what we're doing right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I- Again, going through this process, it seems like you are someone who is trying to make change. Being part of a, a big healthcare organization like you are, being a part of a COG with 800-plus uh, thousand physicians and and all of the policies and legislation and, and stuff that's in place that kind of defines who you are and what you can do as a physician – does does that dismotivate you in some way if that's the right word to use like what what can i accomplish i'm just one person in this organization one person in this country i can also respond to this question
1: in many ways and i'm going to bring in my buddhist response to this which is that i think there's a quote out there that suffering is the gap between reality and expectations mm-hmm so if you're going into medicine right now and your expectations are of this glorious days where you take care of the patient it's all about the relationship and no one's telling you what to do you have some time to debrief with your colleagues of tough cases that's not the world we're in (laughs) so my expectation wasn't that so the gap between reality and expectation wasn't that large for me so i don't i it was easier for me to stay a little more objective Mm -hmm and sustain myself in this career. I'll say I haven't been in this career that long and I'm already doing all these side projects to sustain myself because I'm exploring that question for myself because I graduated now from residency three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. So just starting out my career. But when I'm in this large system, I know that clinicians don't have the autonomy they used to have Mm -hmm. and that's hard. Because people are telling you to do certain things for financial reasons, because healthcare systems are trying to stay profitable, mm-hmm. or "quote unquote" quality reasons. Hey, this is what we define as patient quality, and that could be this like Press Ganey patient experience that people, you know, it's. I think some people have palpitations when I say that. And if you don't know what Press Ganey is, if you're listening, it's this patient experience surveys that go out to every patient after you talk to them, and they grade you. We're all used to being graded, but it feels different when patients grade you all the time. Yeah, Uh, and this—that is quality care—is like somehow we're like working in a target and trying to please our customers. That feeling can exist in some organizations, and we can unpack each of those. But if we say, "Hey, like I know I don't have as much autonomy in this profession as I used to," but I am part of this big system. One, I want to make the system better, and two. Being in the system means there is a lot more power and coordination that even if I can move the lever just a little bit, it's going to make a difference in a lot of lives. Compared to, let's say, my dad, who's in a private clinic, who's been there for decades, he takes care of his panel of patients, and he does one-on-one care, and I hear his frustrations because, I mean, just doing that care... And we know about social determinants of health now. That's not a quote-unquote dirty word in medicine anymore. We know how food insecurity, housing, all these things outside of what we do in medicine affect health. And that can lead to a form of moral injury too. And I'm naming a lot of terminology here. I'm happy to talk about it more. Yeah. But I think there's a hopeful way to look at being in a big system. Uh, And then my journey is like finding my way of Where can I make the impact that I want with the skills that I have?
0: Yeah. I I think one of the biggest things um, that drives passion and motivation is intentionality. At at Mm -hmm. what point in your journey, whether you're a pre-med, a medical student, resident, did you start to see this desire to have an impact outside of the exam room with a patient? And, And did you start to explore what you could potentially do? intentionally do to Im- impact this healthcare world, uh, big picture wise.
1: Intentionality is such a good goal. I, I it's a, such a good word. I like it way better than goals because goals are what can lead you astray. And because it gets mixed up with external pressures of like, my goal is to bec- go into medical school. My goal is to become a dermatologist. The intentionality that you're talking about is important for me because My intentionality was asking the question of like, how do I want to do this career that felt like I just got placed into because my family told me to? And the questions that I asked myself was, hey, am I happy doing this and am I going to change this field or the people that I'm with in a positive way? And you're asking me, well, when did I decide to really do that? I feel like I've always struggled with that question. Maybe it's just me because I'm dissatisfied a lot more than others. I don't know. But even through college, uh, I did business administration. That was my degree, rather yeah. than, even though I knew I wanted to be a doctor which I do think is a plus in the in the U.S. compared to India, where you can have such different experiences. Mm-hmm. And maybe one message in this, because I know listeners are going to be pretty mad, is we need every one of you and all your skills yep. because this health system is so complex and so broken. But in college, I did a business and I was like, is this what I want to be? And people were <laughs> People are talking about investment banking. And I was like, no, like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that person. <laughs> if I want to make the impact I want to make, that's the question I'm trying to answer. So I'm not going to go to New York and trade stocks. Uh, so I found myself to medicine and I went to primary care because primary care felt like that space where I could also connect with the community. Mm-hmm. And then as I go through this clinical experience, it solidified my understanding that I need to be doing more than clinical care mm-hmm. because we've all had these frustrations, even if you're just shadowing right now, when you're taking care of a patient, for example, like I did in I think third year of medical school, I was taking care of a patient and uh, they couldn't afford insulin. Such a classic story where their A1 C was 13, and we tried to prescribe insulin, say so they didn't have any money. And then we're like, okay, well, I guess we'll see you for follow-up and then see what we could do. Obviously, placed a referral, but they were going through so many, so many life crisis, crises, I don't know what that word is, mm-hmm. that was affecting their well-being. And we were powerless to truly address the structural and root causes of that. And recently, right, this isn't just in medical school, I was like a bright eyed kid that I didn't know what medicine was and thought it was like something it wasn't supposed to be. Even now, I'm jaded when I'm doing clinical care. And jaded doesn't all automatically mean I don't want to do clinical care. But I was taking care of a patient and she was in one of the rural areas in our state because she had a seizure. They told her she couldn't drive. But she was so isolated she couldn't go anywhere and she couldn't get her medicine she couldn't get her food she's like i really have to wait for my friend but i don't want to bother him because what if i'm so annoying he stops answering my calls and i was talking to her on a phone call with this like i was stuck like what do i actually do should i like drive to her house and take her to the pharmacy you know these thoughts come into your mind because she kept making phone visits was like, I don't know how to get my medicine. You tell me not to have a seizure, but they told me not to drive. <laughs> don't have a seizure. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, don't have a seizure. That's don't, how
0: medicine works. Don't have a seizure
1: while you're driving, <laughs> just for those 10 minutes. But there's this, this, this moment of dissonance that everybody has in medicine. Oh, like, hey, like, I can't seem to really help this person mm. in the way that I want. And that's why I went into this career. So what do I do in this place of dissidence? And for me, it's like, okay, I'm going to think about systems. I'm going to, you know, think about how decisions are made. Hopefully I can get into a position of power to make some change, influence at least my local circle or some something bigger in our systems. And I'm going to seek to connect with my community better. And I had those thoughts as I was trying to answer that same question of like how do I make any kind of impact in this complex system. And that led me to different projects uh, within my organization and outside of it.
0: Yeah. So a student listening to this, again, knowing this audience being mostly pre-med students, a student listening mm-hmm. to this, hearing a lot of the that struggles that you're mentioning of being a physician and the time demands and all of these external constraints on your ability to, to work mm-hmm. as a physician, many would question and and do question whether or not it's worth it to become a physician i'm not going to an- ask you that question right because it's such a personal question it's it's worth it to mm-hmm. each individual person i think that's that's a big part of this process is to figure out for you for each specific person is it worth it to me but for those who who think it is worth it and hear these struggles, what can they start to do now as a college student or maybe a non-traditional student who now wants to be a physician? What can they start doing now to prepare themselves for the realities of what being a physician is in today's day and age?
1: I wanna respond in in maybe an abstract way, but in a way that makes sense to me, which if you've heard of Mary Oliver, she's a poet and I was just reading this poem, I forget what it was called, but she said, all you can do in life is be present, be astonished and tell others. That simplicity is helpful for me because I show up in these spaces when things are hard and your question about like, how do you prepare yourself? What I did was I showed up, I was present, I was a witness, right? You mm. are a witness to the most intimate moments in so many people's lives because they're vulnerable, they're facing death, mm. they're facing birth, or they're, they just had a baby. I don't know what facing birth means. Uh, or they are struggling with a family member who just got diagnosed with dementia. Mm. And you're present in all those moments and they're so intimate, most people don't get to see them. And if you're present, you'll notice that more, and then by astonished, in, in, when I say astonished, it's not being like surprised. But if you pay attention enough, you'll see all the beauties that exist alongside all of the ways that system is broken and causing additional suffering. And you have to hold on to those positive moments to sustain yourself, at least for me, to work on the bigger system change to make it better. So what do I mean by positive moments? It's like, I do, I do primary care. I also uh, do OB and deliver babies. And I remember this moment because it just happened recently. I take care of this East African family. I take care of the mom, dad, uh, and the daughters. And the daughter just had a baby, but her husband was in Africa and couldn't come. Hmm. And she was really scared. This was her first time. Her mom was there, but I had seen her throughout her pregnancy and the delivery went okay and <laughs> we had a phone beside us the whole time because we were FaceTiming her partner in Africa. And it, it was such an interesting moment to be part of where somebody was so distant, was trying to be part of this moment, and I was right there <laughs> seeing this baby born. Uh, and just, I don't know, I find that fascinating and how much she trusted me as a woman, as an East African woman to be in that moment because both of our relationship and what we had kind of built over time and that sustained me for a long time. And it's a, a recurring cycle, right? Like after a week or two, I forget about it. I want to remember <laughs> it, but there's hard things happening. You ask me these questions and I think about it again. Yeah. So you kind of collect those moments to keep you going because it's all around us at the same time as mm-hmm. well as the things we just talked about where things don't seem to work as intended in our healthcare system.
0: Yeah. There's uh, a growing movement in this, this world, at least our society, for better self-care, uh, more boundaries specifically among the, the physician workforce. Do you see big changes coming in that world? Um, for, for, again, the pre-med student listening to this who hears the, the struggles of the 80-hour work weeks uh, as a resident and, and 24-hour calls and all of that fun stuff. Do, do you see big changes coming in that world? More than before. This is why this is a classic humbug
1: attending moment of like, it's not how it used to be. Like, because 80 hours is the cap for like when I was a resident, we used to work 120 hours. So,
0: yeah. Do you know why they were called house (laughs) residents? Because we lived there. Yeah.
1: So, flipping that, not in the humbug moment. Like, yes, like things have changed. There's definitely more balance than they used to be if you compare to how training used to be. And now, I don't know if it's good or bad, we just phrase it that that we'll just say that there's such a shortage of clinicians, of physicians, nurses, medical assistants, that it's become imperative for organizations to recruit and retain people. Mm -hmm. So they've been forced to talk about this work-life balance. Because if you're burning out your workforce, and nobody's there to work, your bottom line and your survival is on the line. So you have to do something about it. So I see more and more organizations talking about well-being and what it means to be well in medicine. And there's a whole field that's burgeoned out of this. Uh, if you're interested as a pre-med, you can look up this, the Stanford well-being model. So there's several models out there. And they're doing a lot of work on this. Um, not saying we fixed everything, but we have a lot of brilliant people thinking about it. And now organizations are paying attention because of this workforce crisis.
0: Yeah medicine is very hierarchical medical education extremely so and there's always fear of retribution fear of speaking up for for fear of of a bad uh recommendation from a clerkship physician supervisor whatever evaluator that's going to potentially negatively impact residency applications and all that fun stuff How can a student listening to this who has passions of being a change agent, for lack of a better term, do that while also not stepping on toes that that may negatively impact their journey?
1: That's one of the hardest questions because there's so much to talk about equity here too because as a male, I have spaces and I have the power sometimes to speak up. That often my female clinicians don't, mm-hmm. where they're perceived as complaining more than I am. I'm being critical and uh, thoughtful, but my female colleagues are being critical and complaining. That that sense does exist, so it's important to build up a group and colleagues that support each other as the first step, and then try to build power that way. Mm-hmm. And then once you're in positions of power, sometimes it's easier to speak up but it's a challenging place to be. uh, And it's important to call out because I think that's also something we're thinking about more. And as a leader, that's one thing that I think about is am I making a space that feels comfortable enough for everybody to speak up and challenge me because I'm going to make bad decisions because we all do. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, we're going to do that too. And people should feel comfortable challenging me, especially people who are different than me. So I think as leaders, uh, I think there's more emphasis on that, on training on that. So hopefully that will get better, although universally not true at this time.
0: Yeah. You you mentioned leadership several times there. Obviously something you're passionate about. Do you think every physician needs to be a leader?
1: You are a leader, whether you like it or not. You're going to be. (laughs) Because... You're not, seeing, say, you're not seeing patients by yourself anymore. Mm. At the very least, you have one medical assistant. You may have one nurse. You may be working with a social worker. You may be working with a pharmacist. You may be working with a large organization with 2,000 employees. Mm. You may be a leader of the clinic because no, there's nobody else helping do that, and they need somebody. You're always going to be in positions of leading others. So it, it is an essential skill. And another thing that I think a lot of people are lacking, not because they didn't try, because they didn't know. Because all through med school and pre-med years, we were told our goal is to take a history, physical, do an assessment and plan, and that's it. We refer, and then that's it, right? Go to the next patient. When actual care involves coordinating, involves leading others, because you know, I've had a lot of medical assistance. And for people who don't know what medical assistants are, in a primary care clinic, I see patients, I have a a medical assistant who helps room the patient, which means they take their vitals, check their meds, uh, and then do the initial part of the visit. So when I go in, they're ready for the history taking. So I've had a lot of MAs who don't do things that I want them to do. Either they make mistakes, they don't really do the medicine reconciliation correctly, which leads to errors. So I have to have that tough conversation with them of like, I need you to do this. This is why. And then some people are receptive. Some people aren't. And this is all a skill. And moments like that happen all the time with different team members. As more and more, the only way we provide care is through teams.
0: Do you have any resources for someone listening to this about leadership, whether it's podcasts or books that you cite all the time or just think about all the time? Yeah, I, I'm gonna say Brene Brown. I don't know if people. I love Brene Brown. I, I know. I'm like, should I say it? Is <laughs> yeah, say you should say person?
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I, there's so many leadership, yeah. leadership philosophies, models out there, mm-hmm. but if you read Brene Brown, it will start thinking. You'll start thinking about those questions in an authentic way. And then start on that journey, even if you haven't figured everything out. And she's written so many things about leadership Mm -hmm. and other well-known leaders and organizational psychologists. You may never have heard of these names. There's Adam Grant, who's an organizational Mm -hmm. psychologist. He has a podcast. He writes so many books about leadership. Uh, And Simon Sinek, who wrote Start With with Why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's all these leaders, Leaders but they all trust Brene. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But they trust Brene. <laughs> so start with Brene, and you'll start having questions. Uh, but that that in itself, and really working through some of her um, work, and some of the tools she has will give you at least a foundation to start leading authentically, which we need more of in healthcare. Yeah.
0: We uh, live in a polarizing world right now, polarizing country right now. Um, our patient population is growing more diverse by the minute. Uh, our physician workforce is not um, and potentially won't for a little while until med schools figure out how to accept students from diverse backgrounds without the the checkbox of, of race based on the... the um, the Supreme Court decision about affirmative action, which I've had lots of conversations with deans and directors of admissions, and I'm very positive uh, in terms of the schools that really value diversity will have no problem maintaining diversity uh, based on their ability to still use race in admissions without the checkbox of what a student's race is. So when, when you think about diversity and cultural competence as a physician What should students be doing now if they're a a white dude like me who didn't have a ton of diversity? I I grew up in Southern California with lots of Mexican neighbors and Vietnamese neighbors, so I grew up around a lot of diversity, but not a lot of people do. What, What can someone do to increase their cultural competence on this journey, knowing, hopefully, that it'll make a positive impact on their patients in the future?
1: I think of two things. One, of educating ourselves so we're b- better clinicians and caregivers. And two, building relationships authentically with the community so you can be better advocates, mm. no matter what the university policy is, because there's power in building relationships and amplifying community voices. Those two things I'm going to talk a little bit more about because it's part of my journey. Because I told you going back to the beginning of this podcast or episode of exploring a question of what is the impact that I want to make in this space and clinical care that I'm giving. And for me, the hardest time one or some of the most difficult moments were caring for people that were different than me. That seems obvious because we all run into that where our cultures, values, beliefs really are so different. We're not connecting. And it was most apparent and almost felt like an abyss between me and the patient when they were immigrants and refugees, whether it was a Cambodian woman who had went suffered through the Khmer Rouge. We don't know what the Khmer Rouge is. It was this decimation of millions of people in Cambodia due to this communist regime? She had escaped there, and now she declines any surgery, no matter how urgent or how safe. And she comes to me saying she's in pain and de- deny. De- denies wanting to have a hernia surgery. And what am I supposed to do now? Or a Somali woman who had gone through the pregnancy with no complications, has a delivery, ended up getting a C-section. Baby's healthy, she's healthy. Everybody's doing okay. But she says, nobody respected me or honored my beliefs because Allah had said I would have a vaginal delivery. And we're handed these moments and they're really hard to sit with. We all have moments that we think about before we fall asleep and these were some of the moments that were that was the hardest for me early in my career. And I was looking at this idea of cultural competence that you brought up, brought up and I, as a pre-med, if you're listening, you've probably done some modules, you've heard of that term. But being a clinician, I just felt like whatever I learned was not helpful in these moments. Like I could look up a module or look up a country profile, but I felt like I didn't know what to do next. And that's when I started my journey of wanting to better connect with the community itself. Like who is part of the Somali community around me? Who's part of the Cambodian community? Mm. And what do they really want and what does it mean to care for them? And I start to build relationships. And then I started to understand, going back to those two points that I made, what, what does it mean to really care for this community? What specific things should I be doing in clinical care? Because they were telling me, I didn't have to guess or figure it out. They said, do this, Raj. Mm -hmm. And two, when I had the moments of power, or when I was in places where I was consulting or making decisions, I could advocate for that community. Because you're going to be a doctor, and you're going to feel powerless. That's going to be true. Because health systems are bigger than you, and there are so many economical and financial forces that are going to affect your autonomy. Mm. But you're going to have more power than most people in this world. Because people will listen to you, because you're a doctor. And you will have power in some spaces to decide where to invest money in or what care should look like. And I felt like in those spaces that I could be specific about what this community needs. We're going back to the Cambodian community. Hey, in, in our neighborhood, they said what they want, is to heal from this group trauma they've experienced, but they don't have a community center. Mm -hmm. And that's what's actually helpful for them.
0: What does it mean to work towards that? And what all do we need to do? So listening to you talk there, answering that question brings me all the way back, kind of full circle moment to the word that I talked about earlier was intentionality. I think there are plenty Mm -hmm. of physicians who will hear the story of the Somali patient and hear about her disappointment not being heard through through her medical journey and not be intentional about what those next steps are to learn from that moment and reach out and and understand more about what that looks like and and potentially try to uh maybe not the right word for this specific example but but in the military we always call it a postmortem right what what are we doing after yeah. the event yeah. to discuss what went right what went wrong kind of like M's in in medicine and mm-hmm. and y- you took that moment to be intentional about how to approach similar situations in the future not everyone has the bandwidth, the time, the, the energy, uh, the availability to do that. So how can someone be intentional about wanting to improve their cultural competence, their, their, their health equity or healthcare equity for that community, while knowing that they don't have the bandwidth to go out to a community event and hear 100 people talk about what, what they need?
1: Everyone has a role and everyone has different skills and abilities. So you may be the person that doesn't have the time or the capacity to go to the community event, but you could talk to your colleagues and say, are you experiencing the same thing? Is there something we could be doing differently? Or even more specific, maybe you don't even have time to talk to your colleagues. You could just not judge the Somali woman. That's like such... Mm. A basic step, but that goes a long way towards equity, because I'll tell you from this experience, what was most hurtful for her was she said people were judging her say, what's wrong with you? Baby's okay, Mm. Or when she really wanted a vaginal delivery, they accused her of not loving her baby. These are all happening because of the conflict between what we had wanted and what she wanted. And we had approached it in such a harsh and disrespectful way. And you could not do that so even mm. if you don't do something active you could see what you're already doing that's making it worse yeah. and be reflective of that
0: uh ted lasso one of my favorite tv shows of all time uh there was a uh T- ted the main character quoted what he said was walt whitman basically a, an amazing kind of monologue that that ted had in the show basically the, the moral of the story is be curious and not judgmental. And that's what comes to mind when you say that.
1: Yeah, that's good. I love Ted Lasso too.
0: So it's <laughs> such, such a good show. Maybe I scratched the Brené Brown <laughs> suggestion. Go watch Ted Lasso. Go watch Ted Lasso. <laughs> Great leadership <laughs> <Yeah>. book. <laughs> um, as, as we wrap up here for the student listening to this and, and really has a lot of aspirations to, make a change uh, in the future doing what they're doing, and hopefully as a physician, as a healthcare leader. What what words of wisdom do you have to, to wrap up? I
1: would say, listen. Listen to others, pay attention, and then tell other people of what you just listened to and what you noticed. And for me, it looked like having relationships, hearing conversations, and amplifying those voices Uh, through my podcast, The Healthcare for Humans, because I wanted these community leaders and these community members to be heard as widely as possible to make the impact that I want. But it could look something totally different for you after you listen and you may have different ideas. But I think that's always the first step and something that we say so much in medicine and we still fail to do because we get conditioned to feeling like we're the expert and we know. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. But Tell, let me tell you
0: what I know and what we should do yeah. and trying to avoid that. Got it. Uh, that website, healthcareforhumans.org? org. Healthcareforhumans.org. Healthcareforhumans.org. Yep. Awesome. That's where you can check out uh, Raj's podcast and all kinds of amazing stuff that he's up to. Raj, thank you so much for coming on The pre Thanks for having me, Ryan. All right, there you have it again, Dr. Raj Sundar. You can find him at healthcareforhumans.org, the show dedicated to educating clinicians on how to care for culturally diverse communities so we can be better healers. Again, Dr. Raj Sundar. Don't forget to also check out blueprintmcat.com today to get that free account. We have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years.